Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your hustle and Kate like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. Noel, how's it going this week? It's World Cup time, Kate. Uh-huh. So I'm doing okay. Like, I've only watched a couple of games, but I did watch that really just rough US versus Thailand game, and it was it, it was 13 and 13 and 0, Kate. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you heard, but it it was just rough to watch, and then three minutes of stoppage time just seemed like cruel and unusual punishment at that point, because... It's just mean. Why would mm-hmm. why would you do that? Why? But so I've been watching a lot of soccer um, when I get the opportunity to, and so that's been good. Um, I just I haven't been sleeping super well, so I'm a little scattered. Mm-hmm. But other than that, it's been okay this week. How are you? What have you been up to? Oh, I've been. It's it's the start of our summer quarter. So I've been just making my students do so many scales. Noel, I'm so excited that I'm out of audition season. Right now, even though mm-hmm. I also have, we're, we have also started the next audition season, but that's not for a while. So I'm making so many of my students play like every major scale there is in either two or three octaves, just being like, we're going to spend the first 15 minutes of your lesson playing three octave scales and we're going to do all of them. And it's just like, I it, I love it so much. It makes me so happy. <laughs> I would do an evil laugh, but I'm not very good at them. Um, so that's really, that's been my week and trying to recover from our recital that we had last week, which speaking of everyone, uh, you may have noticed that the podcast went out and I completely forgot that I should plug it on social media. So if you are hearing this and you didn't know that we put out our episode last week, um, sorry, but you should go listen to that because it was a great conversation. <laughs> it was. And I didn't plug it either because I just retweet you. So I'm not a good co-host. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just like, because I, I, I edited it early because I knew I wouldn't have any time last weekend. I was like, it was an exhausting day to get ready for the recital and everything that my students recital. Um, and then I don't know how to do scheduled tweets. I, is that a thing you can do on regular Twitter or do you need like a special add-on or something for that you need a totally different sort of service to do scheduled tweets for some reason yeah okay that's what i thought (laughs) i just changed newsletter services that allows me to schedule the newsletter and like Mm -hmm. i said it changed my life like i'm so excited to just schedule new newsletters instead of waking up first thing and then going send (laughs) yeah no it was a long and stressful saturday last uh, last week and when i finished uh my sister helped me like all day long like we i was sore for days carrying things um and so she helped me all day long so there there was a very strict promise of after we were done we were just gonna sit on our butts and watch tv and uh and drink and have good food and so that was my evening so i i didn't have a chance to to plug it then either it it also just like slipped my mind after a full long recital day um and uh, the the upside is though that that we did get to watch a bunch of schitt's creek uh the downside is that i totally forgot to plug the podcast so uh i you expect to see some extra podcast plugging this week on the podcast uh on the the twitter and uh feeds and everything for the podcast so yes that has been the part of my tv viewing experience this week that i have been most 
uh, focused on and remembering that I really need to make sure I plug everything this week. So I will hopefully remember to do all of that. Uh, the other thing that has been uh, the forefront of my mind are some more cancellations and renewals. And of course, uh, we had a renewal uh, of Russian Doll for season two. Uh, and we we heard from Vince about that. And we'll talk about that in a moment. And also the cancellation of Wyatt Snacks problem areas. Uh, so so yeah. TV gods giveth and they taketh away. Right. So problem areas happened last week and I just kind of missed it. Mm-hmm. And I feel bad about that. But I was double checking to get the episode title for this week's and saw that HBO had canceled it. And my response to this is basically, well, HBO, you didn't really do a good job promoting it. Yeah. No. <laughs> I feel like this is on you, HBO. <laughs> I feel like this is on you. And I look forward to why it's an axe problem areas. Another season three being about HBO. And sure. Yeah. Yeah, I think, and I think based on how John Oliver talks about HBO, he'd be more than happy to continue executive producing that series. Uh, <laughs> so I'm very sad about this, um, and I, it, I think it's just a structural thing of like this air on Fridays at eleven o'clock. It's or I think at like eleven o'clock late at night enough that it's not unlike people's radar. I think especially on a Friday. And without that built-in audience for Friday programming, and I know HBO slots in stuff on Friday nights typically, but it's not stuff that I think that they expect to do well or that they're not too concerned about either way. So it's not a Sunday program, and I think that's kind of the larger problem that Snack went into. And I just keep looking at this and going, why why doesn't HBO understand flow, Kate? Why don't you pair this with Last Week Tonight? And mm-hmm. do basically a comedy, how Comedy Central two booked things with like The Daily Show and Colbert and or um, Larry Whit- uh, Winmore and just do that. But for whatever reason, no, we didn't want to do that. And I think that I think that that was a major detriment to Synax problem areas. I think the other problem with Synax problem areas is that it doesn't as nicely convert into a YouTube sort of situation since it's vaguely serialized, uh, where they can't just throw up the main segment and people will be fine and you'll get a BuzzFeed article about how White Snack destroyed such and such this week. Um, with the way that you would often get, um, especially the early going uh, stuff from last week tonight. Well, and also the shorter, more comedic bits, um, yeah. are very heightened and uh-huh. work really well in the context of the show. But taken out of that context, they don't translate yeah. as well. So you lose the like tone the, entirely. Yeah, so, so that's the trouble. Is the 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 parts of a given episode that it would be the likeliest to take off and get go viral separate from the show are the very parts that uh don't work <laughs> outside of the context of the show and anywhere near as well so that unfortunately uh has hampered it and and just like you said being on fridays uh be having it not paired with something else like you know i feel like most shows would have a hard time uh really getting a foothold on a Friday for, for HBO, let alone a show that is educational and research-based and uh, not always an upper, you know? Uh, very rarely an upper. <laughs> yeah, very, yeah. You don't get that gentle uplift uh, on problem areas. Yeah. I, f- I feel like the most uplift was H. John Benjamin as Batman. 
Yeah, which was delightful <laughs> and certainly a highlight of the season for me. But yeah, so I will be sorry to see, uh, well, to I guess to not see any more problem areas, to see it go. But they, I already, we already saw it went. We already saw it go yeah. this week uh, with their series finale. And it's certainly one that we will miss. I am excited, though, that we're getting season two of Russian Doll. And the reason I'm excited is that Natasha Leone is excited. And as the main creative force behind Russian Doll uh, season one, if she's excited, I'm excited because I want to see what she's going to do next. And does it make sense? No. Do I care? No. I care a little bit um, that I'm... I'm... I, I care a little bit, but I also acknowledge the fact that there's plenty of room to sort of do something else. And if they have a good idea, then I'll suck it up. Um, but I've also, like, have not watched any of Barry, despite going, that didn't need a second season. It And yet, apparently, the second season's been very good, and I just need to, like, suck it up and watch it. Uh, but we'll we'll see. We'll see. I'll, I'll wait to see what needle drop they give us for the trailer. Yeah. Before making a decision about Russian Doll. Well, it can't possibly be as good as season one. So that doesn't feel very fair. <laughs> no, no, it's not going to be. But they also spent so much money on that one that they're probably going to try to find something cheaper. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't blame them. But uh, I think we can agree worth it. Very much worth it. Yes. But we should get into our weekend to be this week. At the end of the show, we're talking about Dead to Me season one on Netflix. It did get renewed for season two a little bit ago. So there's more of that coming. Uh, that one, a very logical season two, but we'll see what happens yes. uh, <laughs> with that one. Uh, that'll be fun talking at the, at the end of the show. But first up, we have a full week in TV. So we're going to listen to a little Free Your Mind. Oh, I'm so glad Claus is back. And we'll be right back with our week in TV. That was in Vogue's Free Your Mind, uh, which was very memorably featured at the end of the season premiere of Claws. Uh, this week in TV, we're going to kick things off with a little talk about White Snacks problem areas, uh, the series finale, segregating problems, but also just the se- season two in general. Uh, the Knoll have some thoughts on Grownish, You Decide, and Jane the Virgin, Chapter 93. I'm almost caught up, guys. I, I was so close to ca- caught up, but then I had to choose between premieres and Jane, and I chose premieres. Uh, I don't. I guess I don't regret it, but I'm so close to caught up. Anyways, um, Noel's gonna, going to to talk about Jane, and I will be wrapped with the tension. And then we're going to talk Gentleman Jack as well, or Noel will talk, Noel will talk Gentleman Jack as well. The season finale. Are you still talking? Uh, then I'll have some thoughts on Pose's season premiere, Acting Up, and then Noel will talk Elementary, Red Light, Green Light, and we'll both talk Claws, the season premiere, Just the Tip, and Queen Sugar's Pleasure is Black. So first oh, up... Nova! Yeah. 
Oh, <sighs> yeah. No, I have. Yeah, we'll get there. Yeah. We'll get there. So first up is Problem Areas and their series finale, Segregating Problems. I thought this was a terrific and powerful and uh, effective final topic for them to do, specifically about education, but also just thematically for the show overall. Uh, If you're going to have a series finale that kind of worked out for them, I would say, um, the... The the issue of school segregation in current day America is depressing and um in but in, in very potent and one and a topic that every time I read a new statistic about it or I see a news article about it or I see coverage of it, it just it just like takes you and just shakes you. Um and any any of this feelings of like, well, but that was back then and things are better now. It's like uh um, they are not better. They are, yeah. in fact, getting increasingly worse. Yeah, yeah. And I just, it's, yeah, I just go to a Harry Potter place and Mad Eye Moody, constant vigilance, like just the how how the, how something as basic as schools shouldn't be segregated um, is not a given. Isn't something like a lesson we learned that we then can you know, move on from because it's just as bad or worse in some places than it was back in the 60s and 70s. Um, And so I think it was a, like I said, a a very appropriate topic for, for, to to round out the season. Even, I feel like you could have started the season with this one as well, but, um, but, but yeah, I thought it was a a strong episode. What did you think of the series finale? Well, I really liked it because it's, it's literally about problem areas in, mm-hmm. in a very physical sense. And so I really appreciated that. And I also appreciated sort of the bookend timeliness of doing the first episode with the teacher strike, which is still fresh in a lot of minds and has also just been combated and pushed really heavily against in preventing public workers from striking in West Virginia. I think it's, I think it, that was where that legislation was and basically preventing people from going on strike which is ridiculous and then doing this story about cities uh, about communities attempting to reincorporate as their own cities to form their own school districts and that timeliness coincided a little bit with like the Atlantic doing a short piece about this happening in Baton Rouge in Louisiana about a white wealthy community that has been attempting to, for a number of years, form its own city so that they could form their brand new school district uh, that would be, let's see here, um, a quote directly from the Atlantic article. Uh, the proposed area is no more than 70% white and less than 15% black, but while the East Baton Rouge Parish, which is roughly 46.5% black. So this their resegregation of the community is something that would filter into this. And th- init- my first instinct upon reading that article was, oh, wow, this is going to be just pure fodder for Queen Sugar. My second... <laughs> My second one was, this is also pure fodder for White Snack and problem mm. areas, especially this season, even though they already shot everything and everything and everything was packaged. But I think that by highlighting this impulse of communities attempting to re- resegregate themselves um, highlights just how 
in politely insidious it is because if you go to the atlantic article and we should link to it i guess in the show Mm -hmm. notes yeah is that there's a unwillingness to acknowledge that it's racist and more so about we just want our money to go where it matters basically which just (laughs) is really coded language for we don't barely coded yeah very coded, like slight not really coded that much yeah (laughs) we don't see it as racist we just we just want our tax property taxes to go to our kids. And it's like, mm, that's not how taxes work. Yeah. That's never been how taxes work. Nope. So I think that there, this is a really good um, way for the show to end. And I think it nicely sums up sort of one of the larger systemic things that on a local level, especially after doing a number of episodes about local pushbacks against school problems very specifically the pta episode uh that Mm -hmm. dealt with a school in southern in south seattle which was really really good um and it's probably one of the strongest of this season i think highlighted how the community can work against education as well in really direct ways and i really appreciated that and that there was also a little bit of space between both of those episodes so you can not you wouldn't be bombarded by how the community can and can not work for schools and what the very nature of education is as well and so i think it was just overall a really good season and that the segregation resegregating of school districts i think was a really nice button on a lot of this yeah no it it did wrap up well like i said i think for me the first season remains more powerful and effective um i think i mean i don't know why uh i'm sure there are a number of reasons but a lot of the, the the second season didn't have the same flexibility and uh effective like comedy mm-hmm. that the first season did and maybe it's just a different the the you know it's it's maybe a little harder to go for the absurdism around the educational system in the same way as it is um for the the police and policing in america in the first season and gun violence in america in the first season but um yeah it, it it kind of the second season kind of blurred together for me more yes. than the first season did, and so that and that made it a little less impactful overall. Though I still really have appreciated it, and I'm so glad that we got the second season and that they chose education and the educational system in America as their topic. That uh, PTA episode that was focusing on that Seattle school that you mentioned uh, was probably my favorite of the season, and mm-hmm. uh, and and then and then as far as the comedic bits go, like. I, I I do immediately go to Batman and then the hang in there cat too is also pretty great um, as the most entertaining uh, parts of, of the comedic, you know, element of the show. But, but really, you know, it's, it's always been a frustration for me when I think about the public education system in America that property taxes are such a big part of it because it, it just, it seems like such a, obvious direct way to ensure a unfair system um and so i appreciated the depth that they took with that topic and 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 really explored and the the specificity of like you know going in and talking to these these uh, parents and these uh pta members and the community members as well as the teachers and you know tying that in with gentrification and some of these other issues too it, it was really impactful and as far as the the finale goes here just bringing that to that next level of 
Yeah, but even even when you try to fix something, <laughs> you come up with a solution. It you know all it takes like the the one the, it all takes is one upset white parent, and uh, then the whole system that all it took all this effort to to get established, uh, you know, for busing to make sure the schools are integrated gets completely undone. And that I was it was North Carolina, right? That town. Yes. Um, and it's just ah, oh, yeah. It's so frustrating, and that's just as an external observer who doesn't have any kids going through the system. Um, but yeah, I thought it was, you know, I'm just repeating myself, I thought it was a strong finale and an excellent spotlight example of what this show has to offer. And uh, I'm, I'm sure it's not going to get picked up somewhere else, but I no. would really like it if it were. Yeah, no, it should be, but there's no way it's going to go anywhere else. Yeah. Yeah. Any final thoughts on Problem Areas? Just that, you know, if you've got an HBO Now or HBO Go account, you know, watch both seasons and just mourn what we have lost. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of mourning what we've lost, did Gronish move on beyond our former not actually interesting love triangle pairing uh, in their second episode, You Decide, or is it more of the same frustrating uh, BS as the season, as the mid-season premiere? There's degrees of the BS, but they decided to um, resolve everything from the premiere. And it made me think that they should have aired both of these episodes together Mm -hmm. uh, to alleviate a lot of those issues of this is a lot of nonsense. Okay, Mm -hmm. we fixed it. And now we can move on to dealing with the fact that Zoe's been cut off, uh, which is the significantly more interesting thing for this show to explore. And the desire to focus on the um, Anna and Aaron relationship is the least interesting avenue. Well, the second most, the second most least interesting thing, <laughs> since the most I- least interesting thing is Nomi and her teacher, and the fact that they're going to give it a go, and it's oh, like, who knows exactly? So that's like a whole discussion that doesn't feel fleshed out in any way, shape, or form because that plot line is not fleshed out in any way, shape, or form because they don't know what to do with Nomi at all and I've just they they have no idea so the rest of this episode is basically Junior comes swings by which is great because Junior's the best and mm. is basically one of the twins immediately latches on him which is hilarious and amazing mm-hmm. but it boils down to the fact that Junior explains that Zoe's bad at apologizing for things and that this is standing in the way of her ability to communicate and for for her to mend fences. So she manages to fix things with Luca and with Anna, which in turn fixes things with Aaron. And so by the end of the episode, everything's resolved because Junior agreed to be her wingman at a club and then abandoned her and then gave her a heart to heart, which just explains the fact that this family would not function without him. It, it would not. It literally it falls apart without yeah. Junior in any way, shape, or form. And it's just, it's very telling. But it's also, I think, the best that that actor has been in this mm-hmm. particular role in a while as well. Because they're giving him something really serious to play and something really mature to play, as opposed to that kind of jokey maturity that they do on Blackish. This is a very sort of different maturity. And I really like that the tone that it all struck. He seemed much happier, <laughs> which is good. So overall, we're se- we're segueing our way out of that, hopefully, and into something else, even if, again, the whole arc of these two episodes is boils down to this is really stupid 
And <laughs> I don't understand why you're behaving this way, except for the fact that your young people is apparently the thing that I'm just too old. <laughs> yeah, but like even when I was a young person, but if it ever that times was ever have such changed, a thing, Kate. Times have changed. Still, like that's that's ridiculous. Um, I will say I love the idea of bringing Junior in for this. I think it's a perfect deploying yeah. of that character and, like you said, a much more interesting way to use him yeah. than he has been used for a while on Blackish. So, yeah, hopefully this will not be a one-off. Hopefully he'll pop up now and again. And I, the idea of him just basically, like, being adopted by the twins makes complete sense. Well, I mean, they latched onto him for getting busy for a little oh, bit oh i see yeah okay. yeah no immediately okay. latched on him for that which was the best that's why it was very amusing of like okay that's interesting because <laughs> yeah he he leaves zoe alone and like finds her kind of like sulking over by a table at this club and sits mm. down next to her and sh- he just goes so where can i find condoms here preferably <laughs> magnums and mm-hmm. it's just like the delivery on that on both of those like sections of the line are really, yeah. really good. Plus the reaction from Zoe is also very good because it's ew gross to uh type of thing. <laughs> so it's very, very good. And it's just like, oh Junior, you should just be on they should figure out a way to shoehorn you into this show instead of Charlie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Yep. Indeed. Um well shoehorning i think that takes us right to jane the virgin um now you've been very uh very thoughtful noel in making sure you don't spoil me and i yeah. appreciate that um you, this this week's episode is chapter 93 i am up to uh the part uh jane being uh having her career helped by rogelio mm-hmm. and finding out that the book was a lie and yes. all of that. I'm and the choice, her choice between the guys and all so I'm I'm through all of that stuff. I'm sure there's several things, new twists that I don't know about quite yet. Um but feel free to spoil away because it's my fault I'm behind. Um I will say that when I got to the episode about um her finding out that Rahelio had gotten her book published, basically, I did not feel like the show earned it, and I was really upset and frustrated with the show for that. And um the the whole love triangle thing i think was mismanaged and did not work as well as it should have and i am loving jane having to like just not immediately get raft back and having to work for it a bit which is i'm guessing where they're going by the end of the season and the, and the series but um I'm loving that, but it really uh, is starting, I think, to pick back up after they got over all the relationship drama. And so that's where I'm at with Jane. How did you feel about this week's episode? All right. So this week's episode has is bounded by a number of character swerves in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, Jorge turns out to be semi-terrible um, mm-hmm. from Jane's perspective, but also mm-hmm. sort of from the audience's perspective as he settles into the house, like as a full husband and a full man of the house. So there's a lot of like masculine culture exploration happening here and navigating that from a generational standpoint. Uh, that feels like a character swerve because Jorge's never exhibited any of these tendencies before. So it's a little weird. And then there's just some random stuff where River thinks Rogelio's in love with her? And I don't yeah. I don't know where that comes from in this, but it's it's explored in this episode and it's like, I don't understand what's happening right now. It's real weird. And where is this coming from? 
And I don't know. Um, so that was that was also like a weird character swerve, and it just feels all sort of manufactured a little bit. And this episode deals with the fallout of that as well. And I think I'm conflating chapter 92 and 93, because um, I watched both of them together, so I apologize. Um, <laughs> That's okay. And so that deals with that fallout. Um, the only main reason I wanted to highlight chapter 93 is twofold is one there's the decision that um mateo is going to go on medication to help him with his adhd as behavioral sort of approaches have not been working and that's good i think um in how they've sort of explored those options between um raf and between jane but then the other reason that this is good is that there's a song and dance number kate Towards the end of the episode, um, with a large number, with a large section of the cast, and Krishna is also back, um, Mm -hmm. which is great because I have I love Krishna and I have missed Krishna, so I'm very glad she's back. And so, but yeah, no, there's a big song and dance number um, that is fun and delightful and very sort of theatrical, and they they don't bother to really pretend that they're not on a set, um, which is really nice. So you see like a lot of like the standard set, but done and lit and shot differently so that it doesn't look like a real place anymore. So that's really fun, I think. And so the theatricality of that is really nice and really in keeping with the show. But everyone gets to do a couple of lines, a little bit of dancing, and there's just a big group dance involving various characters from various plots within the episode. So it's really fun. It's really silly. And it just warmed my heart in that Jane the Virgin sort of way of like a little, you, the way that they do like a big halo starburst around the heart it's kind of how i felt when they did that number nice i'm glad to hear that i certainly enjoyed the go have sex song Uh for abuela yes (laughs) um but uh yeah so it's fun to see that there's another one or here there's another one coming uh to enjoy and certainly when the show does its big production numbers and the dance numbers, they've always worked out really well. So I'm excited to hear that. I'm less excited about the Jorge stuff because uh, I thought they've actually been handling the Abuela Jorge stuff pretty well this season, even if it doesn't match at all with the previous seasons, you know, arc that's been one of the least consistent arcs. Um, I would say is Abuela's love life, but um, sorry, Alba's love life. And, uh, so that's a little disappointing, but you know, I think like taking this long to get them to Mateo has ADHD, uh, is a bit strange. And, uh, I'm glad that they're exploring it now at this point. I would have much rather have seen these kinds of storylines than a lot of the stupid back and forth we were getting earlier in the season. So I'm hopeful that maybe there'll be more substance in the last chunk of the show. You, you know how I enjoy, uh, um, cotton candy and popcorn and um a souffle of of silliness in my tv watching as well but i feel like jane works best when it's hitting at least some of those real issues every episode or every other episode so uh, i look forward to that part of it at least yeah and i think that there's again there's elements that work really really well but then there's also the fact that at least within this episode and also in the previous episode chapter 92 they just drop again the sinrostro and rose stuff entirely and it's like oh but the show works better when you don't have any of that and Mm. this is proof of that and also all the petra and jane stuff is just so good and i just want all of it in my eyes all the time Mm -hmm. yeah are you ready for the end do you feel like it's time 
Yeah, I'm getting geared up for the end. I mean, we've got seven episodes left, um, and mm-hmm. I'm I'm ready for them. I'm ready. Yeah, I think it's time, and 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 even like a little, it feels a little stretched this season. So yeah, I do think that it's a little stretched, but yeah, I'm sure they have very specific plotting for the last handful of episodes. So I'm really looking forward to what they're going to pull out uh, for the for the series finale. But uh, at least uh, now it sounds like we're getting to a little bit more meaty material. So I, I will have thoughts on that hopefully next week for realsies um but in the meanwhile gentlemen jack finished its first season with are you still talking which is that the is that the inflection we should be going with what did you think of the finale so i think the finale is really good and i think the show overall has been really entertaining though we mentioned we just talked about being stretched out and i think gentleman jack suffers from that despite only being eight episodes long um it could lose two and be a much tighter show but it suffers from the fact that Anne, who I will from here on out refer to as Lister by her last name, since the other, the main romantic interest in this is also named Anne. Damn you, 19th century. (laughs) Um, So that Anne, the romantic, the romantic attraction Anne will herefore be known by her last name, Walker. So I do not have to keep clarifying which Anne I am talking about. So it's... Yeah, so it suffers from the fact that Anne Lister, who's our main character, who is Gentleman Jack, um, has a lack of things to do, um, narratively speaking, and the show can't push too hard or too fast just because of history, basically, and they seem unwillingness to compress or compress things, so things get elongated instead, and it doesn't do their pacing many, many, many favors. And that's kind of a frustration. But the show overall is really delightful in that because of its the fact that it's based on Anne Lister's really significant diaries and really comprehensive diaries that were all coded um, in her own particular uh, um, her own particular way. And then someone broke them at some point and went, oh, this is a really good story. Like, literally, mm. it's like a really good story. And because of how intricate and detailed they are, they provide really good framework for a screenplay of any sort of kind. And I think that that translates really well here because what we end up with is a very by-the-numbers sort of period piece of a person of some wealth, but not enough wealth, wants to get more wealth, but the only way to do that is marrying someone. And that's just a very standard 19th century plot, both in fiction, but also in 19th century life. And so upending that in a way by using this actual person and her actual actions, in the case of Anne Anne Lister, by having her pursue Anne Walker, who is this young woman who has no immediate family and has significant allowance onto herself that will allow Lister to sink a coal pit to fight against people who are stealing coal from their pit, their pits somewhere near their property, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All of this is really standard stuff, but by making it a love story between two women and by putting a woman in the position of attempting to seduce another woman for her purse is really fun and it reconfigures the period piece in a really good way while still sidestepping the fact that we're not just blind casting in a way this idea of or wanting to do a queer story but just 
plugging queer people into a very standard 19th century story because it's actually based on actual events and an actual relationship and how they navigated that. So it becomes both really delightful version of a very standard period piece narrative while still being historically accurate and true and navigating those mores. And I think that the show does a really good job of really embracing that and making this feel both really groundbreaking, but also really... You've seen all of this narrative before. You know how this goes. You know that Lister is only pursuing Walker for her money initially, and then over time falls in love with her. Very standard stuff. But it all feels fresh and new, in part because it's two women, but also in part because Sarian Jones, who plays Lister, and Sophie Rundle, who plays Walker, are both magnificent and really great. Jones is going to be like a top contender, I think, for Emmys this year, um, in no small part because there's just such a strength, core strength to her performance of Lister that it feels purposely performative as in Anne Lister is putting on a performance, but also this feels vaguely theatrical as well from Jones. So there's like a number of layers of performance here that then get slowly stripped away in certain scenes. And you can just see Jones tapping into what she thinks and what the script thinks the core of Anne Lister is and that fragility and that insecurity and how all of that gets wrapped up in various different either costuming choices or even the fact that there's a lot of direct address to the camera or sly glances to the camera type stuff that gets played with a little bit um, in the early going and call Harkins two because those episodes came out before Fleabag season two came out. The navigation <laughs> of meeting Ann Walker, who is vaguely sometimes aware of the fact that Ann Lister goes somewhere else when she's talking to us or looking at us. Um, so there's just a lot of really good things here. Sally Rainwright did a really great job with this, I think. So again, if you have HBO Now or HBO Go, I really encourage you to check this out. Um, it's really good overall when it's focused on Anne and focused on the story and the people that are her family and her servants and the servants in her house are all just really, really great. The problem is, is there's just enough issues of padding, of dealing with like a tenant that's on their land and their life is put into this narrative, um, mainly to provide what feels like, mainly to provide to what I think is to provide the parallelism of the finale that it feels like the only reason it's here at all is to provide that sync that that juxtaposition of two marriages happening one celebrated and open and another one clandestine and signified by two women taking communion at the same time while they're both wearing rings and sitting next to each other and the difference between those two types of celebrations and those two types of marriages happening um that's the only reason that the tenant narrative feels like it's there and if you drop it entirely the show feels a lot more streamlined but then there are other like niggling little plot lines of Anne's fight with the folks with the coal that just go in circle constantly because there's no good resolution to it at this point in Lister's history. And that mm -hmm. gets really frustrating, I think. And it, so there's good fits and starts, but overall, because of Jones, because of 
uh, because of Rundle and the rest of the cast, including uh, Gemma Whelan from Game of Thrones, who plays Anne Lister's sister, and she's fantastic as Marion. Um, there's plenty of really good stuff around it that you don't notice the bad stuff as aggressively. At least if you watch it week to week. If you watch it all at once, you may start to feel it a little more aggressively but i think overall this was a really fun show and a really good show um that really captured that sort of again that 19th century narrative in a different way and i can't yeah i'm gonna stop talking now because i'm gonna start rambling but it was just it was very good and i really enjoyed having the opportunity to watch it great well i'm glad and again i'll have yet another show on my list. <laughs> the list is unbearably long. I'm so glad the TV has slowed down a little bit. Yes. Because, like, otherwise I would never get to anything on the list, let alone catch up with the shows I'm already behind on uh, that are currently running. So, yeah, hopefully soon. Hopefully soon I can get to that one. Um, I'm excited, though, that Poe Season 2 has started up over on FX. The premiere is acting up. I forgot that, like, each of these episodes is really long <laughs> like the first episode is like an hour and 20 or an hour 40 or something like that uh, i budgeted an hour so i didn't i ran out of time before i could finish it but uh I, i've seen most of the first episode and i did really enjoy it and it's interesting to set the second season in 1990 and have so much of it turn on madonna's vogue and the increased spotlight on the ballroom scene and the you know some of the characters very excited for what that could mean other of the characters <laughs> you're like oh that's cute you think that they're gonna they're gonna go mainstream that's no no madonna's just gonna make a bunch of money off of us um so so it's that's it's that tension is, is really interesting and it also that jump forward in time uh really puts more pressure on the characters who are dealing with their uh, HIV diagnosis. Uh, one of the characters has progressed to having AIDS at this point. Her T-cell count is is at a point where she her diagnosis changes to having AIDS, not just HIV. And uh, so watching, you know, seeing how that shapes what the characters are dealing with and, and their headspace and their priorities is very interesting. Of course, the performers are all great. They're, they're really terrific. I, uh, for those who are not uh, watching Pose, uh, but who are maybe interested in the show or uh, enjoy the cast, I would suggest, I would recommend going to watch Billy Porter's interview on Colbert uh, this past week, which was terrific. Um, they talked a bit about fashion because Billy Porter has been slaying the runway game for the past year or two, um, in particular, very high profile um, fashion choices that uh, have gotten him a lot of attention and just have been just wonderful just amazing looks so that so they talked about that a bit on, on colbert and it was it was a really nice segment um but porter remains fantastic on the show mj rodriguez is still terrific and um yeah i'm glad the show's back I, I, I missed it and i hope some people will catch up with with this and and watch season two uh, i know there's a few people out there um who i interact with uh, actually in realsies who have been meaning to get to pose and hopefully they will you know now that tv has slowed down a little bit they can catch up with season one and watch season two um I, normally i you, you know me know normally i hate an extra long episode especially of a, a drama um but uh or an hour-long show i should say but i i every minute 
of this show I'm on board with. So I'm really excited about what season two has to offer so far. Plus it helps that we don't have the, the white people problems portion of the show is just gone. Oh, good. <laughs> so far. Yeah. Uh, so far we'll see if they pop back up, but um, I don't miss them at all. And they are not the part of the show that matters. Um, and I'm glad the show seems very aware of that. So we will see what happens with the rest of season two, but so far, like getting pray tell, uh, involved with act up which happens in this first episode is great um the discussions around azt and who can afford it and and how that works and you know the different systems that were in place to get meds to people who couldn't afford them and everything um is really uh, amazing stories uh and it's great to see somebody tell them and then yet to still have the central core of this show be like this is a show about these people and part of their story part of some of their stories is the aids crisis and and being diagnosed with hiv aids and and what that means for them and their health but it's only one part of their lives and there are also other victories and other triumphs it's not just centered on pain the way it would be so easy for a story in this time with this central uh like community and a group of characters you know so often would be just just pain just a massive heaping of pain a heaping portion of pain i love that that's very um this thing you can see the show interacting with and very much pushing back against and uh, i think that's important and i am very excited for season two so that's pose my person's very excited she mainlined all of season one this week Um, oh yeah like all of it like she's watching it at work um (laughs) but she was very she was really keen on it because it educated her in a number of ways about stuff that she wasn't like completely aware of particularly the ball the ball scene uh she had a misconception about what the ball scene was about and who was featured in it so that was something that she learned from it but also as a result now like tonight um as we record on friday we're gonna watch paris is burning which everyone should watch because it's a terrific documentary and also ends roughly where season two of pose is beginning um with madonna and vogue and how that's playing into things and it kind of pokes at the edges of that a little bit at the end of Paris is Burning, Um, which if you're in the US at least uh, is on Netflix and you can watch it if you have a Netflix subscription. So I encourage people who do that, who do have that to watch that, especially if you're watching Pose. But if you're watching Pose, you've probably also already seen Paris is Burning. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. Which is terrific. Uh, Cosign everything you just said. Um, So are you going to watch season two then or no? Um, I I still have to watch season one. Um, well, you or, don't have to. Yeah, do I, mean, I not good, have to? Okay, yeah. I don't think you have to. You, you ask your person what she says. Okay, no, I'll ask her. Um, because I I, I need to set up a re- series record for Pose for her. Um, on the DVR, uh-huh. but yeah, I'll I'll ask her tonight and see what she wants to do. Because the nice thing about Pose season one is that while the episodes are long. Um, there, it's not like a 20 episode, you know, it's like, you can, you can make, you can binge it over the course of a few weeks or one week, apparently, if you want, like there's, it's not that high. I think it's like 10 episodes, right? Something like that. Um, so, so it's on the scale of catch-ups. It's not that bad. Yeah. Um, and I have nothing but time now, so. (laughs) So, well, and then you get to just, you get to. You know, like you could dive in with season two, I think, and okay. really follow the the story. But then, I think uh, you wouldn't get to to the same. 
then watching season one would be very different. So if you like season two and you want to go back and watch season one, you'd just have a very different experience because you would know where things were headed. That's fair. Um, But I think, you know, that's fine. That's how I watched Shit's Creek. That's how I watched Parenthood. That's how I watched plenty of other shows. So why not? So if, if if it's between watch season two or don't watch season two because you need to catch up with season one first and then it just, there's so much TV you get behind, I would say just watch season two. Okay. <laughs> That's where I'm at with it. Uh, why do I need to catch up with elementary other than the fact that I look forward to catching up with elementary tonight as we record once I finish the very end of the pose premiere? Uh, what, what, what did you think of red light, green light? So there's some decent twisty stuff here um, that wants to tap into the overarching narrative of the, of the season. And the main case like pokes at it a little bit, but then is quickly eliminated and is explored as its own separate entity and that's good i appreciate the idea that there's a little bit of a push to connect it to the serial plot and then go no it's not this is just going to be a regular thing that we deal with but there's enough like kind of twisty turny type stuff that's um explored in it the resolution's a little too much um but that's also just kind of standard for Holmes stories in general and elementary as a show. Uh, but there is a little bit of development on the overall serial plot as well, insofar as the question of whether or not this is a terrorist organization gets called into gets called into question to a certain degree. But the other reason I just wanted to mention is because of the fact that we were talking about Dead to Me this mm. week, is we find out that our main perpetrator that we have in prison uh, for connection for shooting Gregson and all that sort of stuff, um, was communicating with his contact through a video game. And I just went, oh, that's great timing, Elementary. Thanks for that. <laughs> uh, so I was just like, oh, that's good. I was just like, where was this from? Right, Dead to Me, which I watched three weeks ago. But perfect, perfect timing. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to also mention that. It was just like, oh, everyone's catching on to the fact that everyone's using video game chats for clandestine meetings. <laughs> mm-hmm. Very nice. Looking forward to that one then. Okay, cool. Uh, We also had the season three premiere of Claws, Just the Tip. Uh, Claws is so ridiculous and over the top and... (laughs) I just I love it. I it's, I think I, for me it's lost some of its luster. Uh, this season three premiere I think is interesting and there's it's going to be a lot of fun that you can tell, but it doesn't have the immediacy that season one had for me. Um, so I think it'll be interesting to see what it does instead. I think the the show feels like it's very aware of that the the, the way the characters have have shifted and changed over these three seasons or the the first two seasons and the start of the third. Um, and it, it I get, you get the sense that they're not going to try to just do the same beats they're you know gonna keep moving and adapting and adjusting with the characters and so i'm excited for what that's going to bring the most important thing though i think we can agree is hell yeah virginia's not dead because i was gonna be very upset if they killed off virginia after not killing off like three other people who should have died (laughs) in the previous season so were you as excited as i was that the show's back and more specifically that the show is back with virginia Yes, I was very excited about Virginia being back, and I'm very excited about Klaus being back. Um, And I think you're right. I think that there's a lack of immediacy um, to the narrative, but also who the f*** cares? Because the idea that the show is leaning into being as weird as it is now, it's just like, Virginia's whole personality has changed because she got a different eye. And it's just... 
it's just so weird. And it's also like very, and I say this in a very positive way. It's just so aggressively soap operatic mm-hmm. that I'm just like, I'm here for it. Like I just, I, I am here for it so much. So this idea that she's not interested in her social media feed anymore because she has a new eye is just, it's so good. And mm-hmm. I like that it also allows Virginia to be reinvigorated as a character in a way that I think that the show desperately needs as well going forward. But I also just, I just like the fact that there, we're going to make sure that this casino thing is here. We're going to explore this weird married couple and what they're doing in their tents and just the delightfulness of all of that I am here for. And where, however, where and however big daddy fits into all this is fine. Whatever he's, They've just positioned him in as a wild card that they can play however they want now. And while I'm not crazy about that, it just means that Dean Norris gets just so much good stuff to do that I'm also not going to complain about that. So I think that basically just boils down to I really enjoy Claus and I really like Claus and I like that Claus is pushing itself into weird, silly directions and provided that they maintain good silliness, I'm going to be happy. It's sort of like I now have the Legends of Tomorrow version of a gangster show. Yeah. And I'm here for that. I'm here for that. And I want that. Yeah, it's completely ridiculous. And like like when they they bring uh, Jen and... Kyle Rankin's is it Bryce Kyle Rankin's character yeah. back and they just go like yeah we left the life and everything uh, but we're miserable down there uh, and also this is a TV Tampa. show so yeah. we're going to come back even <laughs> though it doesn't make any sense for their characters it doesn't make any sense for the choices we saw them make last time it doesn't like doesn't fit with any of these other things but the show doesn't care and we don't really care because we want to see them the te- the gang all together and interacting so yeah, yeah we're willing to go with a lot just to get our our cast to hang out and um the yes this doesn't really follow but who cares when you get to watch this cast have this much fun yeah. is how i feel about everything about this show i mean i was thinking about some of these different actors and the other shows that they've done and what a fun change of pace this is for them and also like the trajectory, like Carrie Preston, right, mm-hmm. going from True Blood to the good, the good uh, wife, um, to this, you know, that's that's a bunch of left turns, <laughs> and um, I think that's you know Dean Norris obviously going from Breaking Bad to this, and and really all of the cast. It's just the ones who I've been following for a while. It's exciting to see them get to to just dive in completely here it feels like tnt really supports the show uh, and doesn't try to meddle too much i don't know if that's the case but that's what it it seems like and uh certainly i i can't think of another show that's gonna do a musical number like we got in this episode and like we've gotten before and and i can't think of another show that would do a song like we had for the renewal of the vows last season which was so great and a genuine like beautiful song really well executed but also completely insane when you listen to the lyrics <laughs> um yeah i think you're they're blending it really well so it i don't know that it'll we'll see the season th- i'm not that excited about season three compared to some of the season two and one yeah. but i'm just 
overall very excited about claws yeah and if they can in- still inject certain things that they kind of focused on in season two like mm-hmm. um some of the uh some of the um quiet um quite and quite and stuff that they did in season two finding those beats and those rhythms here again if they can do that to provide a really well-timed emotional punches then i think if it's a tie that raises the entire show and finding that i think is going to be the key going forward and what they're going to do this season to do that uh to find those emotional beats i'm really looking forward to but if they don't want to do that anymore and they really want to double down on this sort of weird camp tone in some instances, I'm okay with that too, as long as it just sustains itself. And that's always sort of the question with Claws, at least, is the degree to which it can sustain that tone over a serialized story is always the big problem that they have in each of those serialized stories always kind of sometimes feel weak despite really good characters. And so I'm hopeful <laughs> that that doesn't happen this season. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we will see. And I'm sure we'll be talking about Claws plenty <laughs> this season. Uh, in the meanwhile, Queen Sugar came back with Pleasure is Black, the season four premiere. And uh, uh, Nova. 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 Nova, what are you Nova. doing? Like... <laughs> I, they're going to have to work real hard to earn her book, I think. And yeah. they don't in this premiere, and no. they haven't really before. Um, this idea, in the past, they've done a good job of selling, like, this, like, really getting, at least getting me on board with Nova in the conversation about, um, you know, this is our family business, why are you writing about it? It's no, but, you know, like, and we need to keep these secrets. Like, I think they've done a really good job of, like her opening up about finding out that her dad contemplated suicide, I thought was really powerful and really impactful. And that's the kind of thing that where it's like, if you want us to be on her side with that, I think they they earned it. They did a really great job. But her, what we see in this, the end of this premiere, where she's like spilling secrets about Charlie having paid off the the sex worker about like the parentage like the dna test of blue like why does that has nothing to do with her that has nothing to do with anything <laughs> it's just at least what we heard from these like clips and these quotes from her book were not interesting or impactful enough to merit we needed to have a personal not your news to share story to justify her talking about it. You know what I mean? Like why is, why did she need to talk about Charlie having paid off the sex worker in order to talk about patriarchy and gender roles? She doesn't need to. And it's not her memoir. (laughs) Like this idea of you need to write about yourself, I think is great, but she's not writing about herself. She's writing about other people. And if she's just as honest about her struggles, then that's something else. And and other secrets come out as she's discussing her experiences and what she's been through. I think that's great. But that's not what we saw here in this last, uh, uh, this, the la- end of this episode. So um, as terrific as Routine Wesley's performance is, and I think her at the, the crypt, the family crypt, was really impactful. Uh, the writers are going to have to do better if we're supposed to be torn. Because right now I am full-on not Team Nova on this, and to the point where I don't even understand what 
we're supposed to see in what she in, in like these choices and i also don't see why it's supposed to be so impactful as just a book like some a really moving book that people are gonna be talking about for a long time which is what the show wants us to think so uh yeah i had strong feelings <laughs> about this uh, what, what did you think Noel? It's deeply frustrating on a couple of levels. Uh, there's the level that you just outlined of the fictional aspect of it. Of all right, you're airing a number of you're airing a number of family secrets to kind of talk about America and society, and very specifically, sort of the conceptualization of potentially black society. Again, her book in and of itself, what we're supposed to be taking from it, is a little muddled. Um, and also maybe it was better explained in that towards the end of season three than it is here. So there's that aspect that you just really nicely outlaid outlined for us. But then there's the other aspect of you should have told everyone a hell of a lot sooner. And your publisher should have insisted on that on a, like a real, on a verisimilitude level of why didn't your publisher not say by the way, this is how you do this. You talk to the people that you're doing this about. Like, I. Just to prevent, like, lawsuits from right. the Wests. Yes, exactly. That's exactly what it is. And the fact that that was not done is. It feels way too contrived for me to really get on board with this plot. And that's kind of where my sticking point is, because it's just like. Queen Sugar, I just read Educated. <laughs> okay? There was clearly a lot of work that that author put into talking to her family about this really terrible things that she went through as a child and also as a young adult. So her family knew what was in the book <laughs> before it was published. And telling your family what's in the book by giving them the book just before it's published when advanced copies are already circulating it's not how any of this works and it hurts the narrative it hurts the dramatic arc and what it ends up doing is like i said it feels really contrived to put strain on this family when they're in a place of strength when they're in a place of unity and when they're all together when they're having moments of triumph like ralph angel's she, multiple moments of triumph of his running through along the road to the field that finding out that his parole is done is yeah. really powerful and then having it framed as you passed the test daddy when he's explaining it to blue is just like oh yeah oh because that idea of it as a test is just really heavily layered and really beautifully executed so there's all these moments of triumph happening here. And then we want to blow it all up with Nova's book. And it's it's asking too much, at least of me, that her publisher just didn't set, didn't do anything about this. Her editors didn't do anything. Their legal department didn't do anything. Um, yeah, that's a step too far. That it's it's just too much to buy. Even if, like you said, Rutina Wesley is really nailing the beats of this and thinking she's doing, to a certain degree, the right thing. But just on a legal level, there's nothing here that makes sense. And it hurts the overall narrative. And that's really, really frustrating. But on the upside, Vi looked amazing. And that's kind of all that matters. Oh, <laughs> that is kind of all that matters. Um, well, the other thing I'll say is if they're going to spill secrets... I'm curious to see if Nova told Micah's secret. Yeah. 
because if not, that will be an interesting thing for them to talk about. And if so, that's all the secret you need to get Charlie in Mama Bear mode. Yeah. And that's something that if you're talking about her experiences, like that's a direct thing that can impact Nova. And because through her interactions with Micah and also the police department and her history in that town, right? Like that's something that has direct bearing on Nova's life in a way that this other stuff, like the DNA test for Ralph Angel doesn't. Um, So yeah, for, for blue, I should say. Uh, But yes, you're right. The more important thing is Vi looked amazing. Like just glowing, just like, and and that had me actually, as I was watching it, very concerned. (laughs) I was was just like waiting for her to have like a a lupus uh, um, flare up up or something. Yeah, and um, I uh, Hollywood is great, of course. Vine Hollywood are our gold standard for TV couples, as long term listeners will know. And um, and they're just every it was just all to go into great at the and just worried with the high we ended last season on and how strong we started this season with them. Just very worried about where that means we're headed for them. Sure. Um, but we'll see. I just very much hope that they're not going to – I don't know that I trust the Queen Sugar writers to not put us through some some Aunt Vi stress this season. I mean, we're going to get some. That's just how the show works and how the show operates. And I just hope that they do good stress um, mm-hmm. with it that um, helps to um, illuminate their relationship and the two of them – um, both as individuals, but also as a couple and how they explore that, I think is going to be really good. And I hope that they find a way to do that through this stress. Um, but also just the prize for eating the most pie is just more pie. And it's just, <laughs> I feel like the reactions were not right there. I feel like they should have been way more excited about that. No, I, I, I really appreciated that they thought they were going to win something else. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I, it, it sold the joke real well of like, wait, there's just more pie? And it's just like, yes, there's just more pie. Um, so that that yep. was amusing. I do appreciate that this um, plays up a little bit more of like the parish council, city council type stuff. And I like that aspect of it since that was one of the more interesting things towards the end of season three that began to circulate. And I want to see more of that going forward. So that aspect and bringing that in was good, but the it also felt like a really easy way to just broadside everyone about the book by doing it this way as well. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, we will see what comes of that. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm very glad Queen Sugar is back. Uh, I'm glad to see some coverage of it, though it seems like all the coverage of Queen Sugar that I see is talking about how uh, revolutionary it is that the show hires exclusively female directors, and specifically a lot of women that are first time directors giving them a you know a start yeah. or first or a second directing credit, which is great. Don't get me wrong, but I feel like also maybe you guys talk about how it's a really really good show. Yeah, no, <laughs> I got. I got kind of antsy and grumpy at IndieWire who released their like top 50 shows of the decade list this week. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, number 50 was The Terror, Kate. And don't get me wrong, The Terror's really good. It was, my number terror. One. it was my number one show of this year. But you know what wasn't on that list? Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, Steven Universe, Adventure Time, Queen Sugar. And I just went, guys, 
Terror's yeah. real good. It's not better than any of those. It's not better than any of those. It's good. It's real good. Um, but it's not better than any of the shows I just listed. And that was just off the top of my head. And I just, that was just like a larger issue with that list overall. There Mm -hmm. was also like a, just a sheer amount of recency bias. There was a lot of stuff that premiered this year on it that I just went, all right, there's no way that we can really understand the quality of Tuki, Tuka and Birdie yet, or Birdie and Tuka yet. Mm -hmm. But I, I have questions for you. People who put together this list that Tuka and Birdie was also, like, in the middle of the pack. And it's just like, I don't understand. You didn't even have the good wife on this show, but you had the good fight? They had the good fight, but not the good wife. Yes. Yeah, that's wrong. Yeah, and at number, like, 47. So it's just yeah, like... Yeah, like, and I'm not... I don't usually say, like, that's wrong about subjective lists, but yeah. that is just wrong. <laughs> yeah. No, there are a number of other weird choices, like... Olive Kittredge was in there, and I just went, no one remembers Olive Kittredge, apparently except for IndieWire. I do! <laughs> I really liked it, but all those other shows that you listed are better than it. I mean, don't get me wrong, Francis McDormand is amazing, but all those other shows you listed are better. Yeah, so, yeah. so that yeah. spurred me on in a week where in which Queen Sugar has come back and is once again not being discussed within the within a terrific show of its of this particular like period right now is just really frustrating and i'm glad that it's getting highlighted for production things but it should also be highlighted for its really solid narrative its terrific acting um and its storytelling yeah definitely well listeners let us know if you're watching queen sugar because um i'm not confident that any of you are <laughs> so i would really like to hear that maybe a few of you are because it's amazing um you know what really struck me Noel, watching this premiere is that when prosper that scene with prosper and ralph uh ralph angel when when he gives him the the parole letter and he mentions, oh, your dad would be so happy. It still is like a gut punch. Four seasons in, based on a performance and also the writing and the other performances. But like based on a performance, it lasted like three episodes in season one. It still has so much impact and weight. And that speaks to a show that is just doing it right. It's doing the characters just right. Um, All the, you know, four seasons in. So, oh, such a good show. Okay. What wins your week in TV? Um, that's a really loaded question because I did watch a lot of good TV this week. Um, I do need to mention mm-hmm. that this week's Fruits Basket is really, really good. Um, so it's the Valentine's Day episode and there's a lot of scheming in that that is both sad and scary at the same time. So, you know, watch Fruits Basket. Um, my over-the-top gambling anime, um, Kakigori, um, came back for its second season on Netflix. It dropped and it's much more delicious and much more over the top this season. And it also appears to be about capitalism and politics this year. Whereas last year was just about polit- was just about the greed and trashiness of capitalism, which was really fun and what it drives us to do. So I'm actually curious to see how the rest of the season plays. I'm about like four to five episodes into the season. But I think that what wins my week is Claws. Yeah, I think I'm going to go with Claws this week. Uh, What about you? 
I'm going to go with Queen Sugar. Okay. Um, but tip of the the highly stylized, uh, but far too urban acrylics to claws uh, for a delightful season premiere as well. Uh, but yeah, even with my question marks about the Nova stuff towards the end, I am still very excited about Queen Sugar and really like this premiere. So now we'll take a break, listen to a trailer for season one of Dead to Me and come back with our season spotlight. We'll be right back after this. Just heat it up at 300 and leave it in for 35 minutes. Thanks, Karen. It's my take on Mexican lasagna. Great. Jeff and I can't imagine what you're going through. Well, it's like if Jeff got hit by a car and died suddenly and violently. Like that. Well, you get that dish back to me whenever you can. Welcome to Friends of Heaven. Looks like we have some new people here today. I'm Judy. Jen. I hope this isn't weird. Can I give you a hug? No. Okay. I lost my fiance eight weeks ago. It was really sudden. Since Ted died, I haven't been sleeping. Not at all. Hey, I'm off all night. Feel free to call me and we can not sleep together. Hi. Did you get it? Is that him? No, that's my other husband. Oh, you have another one? Then you're fine. Are you in bed? Yeah. What are you wearing? A pair of sweatpants. You're a weird person, Judy. Do you do this a lot? Just every time I see a person-sized dent in the front bumper of a car. But it must be hard to be alone in that big house without Steve. My guest house is open. Be nice having you there. Boys, this is Judy. Hey. Yeah, it's here! He thinks that the burn is his dead father. Maybe it is him. Okay. It's weird, her being in there. What? You don't even know her. She could be a crazy person. We're looking for Judy Hill. Why are you looking for Judy? Let's just say that wherever Judy goes, chaos tends to follow. Is this some kind of game that you're playing? There's a lot of shit you don't know. Grief does some weird shit to people. I know you. You're good. Crazy or not. a criminal into your home. She's the only person who has been here for me that doesn't make me feel like I am failing at everything. I've got a widow running around town like a white wine vigilante. Fuck her. Fucking love you. I'm feeling good. I miss you, baby. Just wanted to say that. Okay, fine. It's trying a thing. Fuck you, too. That was the trailer for season one of Netflix's Dead to Me, which stars Christine Applegate and Linda Cardellini as two women dealing with grief and loss and uh, who are kind of who, who become friends and are kind of thrown together. Um, and then you go. It's a 10 episode season. Each episode is a half hour. And I feel like we should do a spoiler free yes. beginning and then we'll announce what we're going to go into spoilers. Um, for me, the season started out. Um, a little shakier, but got more compelling as it went. Around episode like four, three, four is when I was more on board with it. Um, because the and one of the early like twists or reveals, there's a number of them throughout the, the season, uh, was very apparent early on. And it made me really dislike some of the characters and not trust the show. Until we got to the point where they revealed that and then there was more context and then I could get on board. So 
I, th- I would say if you're watching Dead to Me, if you try it, check it out and try it, and you're not certain, I would say stick, you know, if you don't dislike, if you dislike it, just stop watching. But if you're on the fence, maybe stick with it for like three, maybe four episodes and then assess from there. Uh, but I think it has really terrific performances. It has some interesting things to say about guilt and, uh, and, and grief and, um, the way, like, letting yourself, uh, release trauma and release your sense of like just the the accountability to yourself versus what you know is rational versus how you're how you feel and and the way that those can get knotted up together um so i I thought it was it was a good season uh maybe a bit overhyped for me but an interesting season and one that i ended up really enjoying what about you yeah, I think that there's a degree of sort of overhypeness here um, that is more on a narrative level than necessarily on a performance level. Because I think Applegate and um, Cardellini are both real good mm-hmm. in this. Uh, Cardellini especially, I think, has the slightly juicier bit for obvious reasons. Yeah. Um, but Applegate is just real raw in a lot of stuff, and it's really, really good. And I, so I think that there's a lot of good um, performance here, and also James Mars- Marsden is just also really perfectly cast, and his mm-hmm. performance is also really well calibrated to that character in a way that is just spooky. It's just real, real well calibrated. Um, but I think that's sort of where I fall with it is um, we had a Memorial Day party and one of our guests had watched all of it. And their opinion of it was that they liked it, but it also very much felt like a writing exercise in a lot of ways. And I think that that's really accurate on a overall plot narrative level. Uh, which we'll, we can get into in the terms that every episode ends with a, a cliffhanger that drives you to watch the next episode immediately. Um, but then there's also just the fact of trying to unravel each of the twists and the secrets, again, feels like a writer exercise. And I even told my person uh, prior to this party of that it very much feels like a first show, which it is for... Um, Liz Feldman, who's worked on a large number of shows, but this very much feels like a first show. It's a very well done first show overall, but it feels very much like a first show, and it also very much feels like a first season. All of that being said, um, I think you're right in that the larger sort of explorations of grief and what that does to people and how we cope with that and how we don't cope with that and the ways that we attempt to navigate that on both an emotional level, but also to certain degrees on a professional level, uh, I think it's just really good. And I think that centering it around these two women very specifically and how they deal with that, I think is really refreshing. And the way that uh, Applegate and Cardellini play this... What if Grace and Frankie were A, younger, and B, involved in what is happening in this show um, was kind of delightful. Um, so I think that there's there's a lot of really good stuff in here, um, not the least of which is the fact that it's a dramedy of sorts. So it's five hours of TV, which is much better than... Mm-hmm what this show would have been at 10 hours. Oh, God. Um, 
No, because it would have been it would have been very bad. It would have been very very bad because there's not enough there there. So in that sense, the fact that these are each half hour episodes is really good and really helpful for the show overall. So I think that this is a good show. Um, it's one that I encourage people to watch. It's one that I'm not super keen on season two of like what this is going to set up for season two. Um, yeah. I don't like where it ends, and we can talk about that in just a few minutes after we finish this very vague discussion. But <laughs> I think that there's there's enough chemistry and enough sense of particularly who Jen and Judy Applegate and Cardellini are. I just realized that they have the same initials. That's that's mm-hmm. weird. And mm, uh, interesting. The mom is isn't the mom some of the J two. I think so. Hang on. Where is she? Janice. No, she's, she's, um, oh, she's Lorna. She's Lorna. So yeah. Yeah. Somebody else starts with the J. Maybe is it, um, maybe it's, uh, the mom of, uh, Scott, Scott's mom starts with a J too. Yeah, um, something maybe, like that. Yeah. There's an there's yeah. another yeah because something like I I don't ha- I can't deal with blah 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 right now yeah and then he says that she's at her other house somewhere yeah um, but yeah so yeah no I was definitely clocking the J names <laughs> sorry yeah. go ahead no I, no 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 it's perfectly okay no but oh, that Lorna casting Valerie Mahaffey as Lorna is just pitch perfect and really really good um so I I. I it's something I do recommend. It's just something I think temper expectations for a little bit. Um, but also revel in Applegate and Cardellini at like peak sort of abilities here as well, because they're both very deeply in it. Um, that I think really helps carry the show really, really nicely. I will say that if you are not someone who is a fan of the not recent at this point, but the long stretch of crime thrillers in the Gone Girl or Girl on the Train vein, this is not the show for you. Um, because this show cribs really heavily from that genre or subgenre of thrillers. So if that is not a narrative that you care for, do not watch this show. But if it is, then do I have the television show for you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the... I also uh, did not like the ending, um, and I'm not excited about season two, other than yeah, enjoying season one, you know, the, the yeah. standard. I like season one, and I'll probably check out season two thing. Uh, but where the jumping off point for season two uh, is not something I'm all that thrilled with. Um, the show for me too often wants to have its cake and eat it, and uh, it like there's way too much because uh, like you, they make a point to show you these characters uh, working their jobs and needing to make ends meet and, and and stressing that they're dealing with this grief and this loss, and also they have to at the same time keep you know working so they don't lose their house and like they the rest of their life doesn't stop just because it feels like everything has changed and, and stopped in their lives due to this massive loss that they've, that they're still processing. They're each still processing, um, which is great. But then there's way too much of like them all hanging out during the middle of the day, I guess. Like, I mean, the one character is a realtor. So who's self-employed and I, you could say she makes her own hours and there are, there are um, professional consequences to her 
you know, not being as focused on her work. But the other character works a shift job and how she's constantly like able to just be out having adventures or just like go away on a weekend retreat with no talk about how much money that must cost um, is very confusing to me. Uh, So it was like, there were things like that that were frustrating where they clearly wanted to structure the show one way, but then they got the idea to do like a bottle episode off of this retreat. So that we're just going to do that and not worry about how that would make sense with what they've already established. Yeah. And yeah, the retreat stuff's not great um, in terms of like a narrative thing, but it's also really worth the joke of carry on Oki. It is. Oh, yeah. No, don't get me wrong. I like that episode. I just, there were, it was an overall frustration. And, and the, yeah. the performances were very nice. I enjoyed the karaoke. Carry on Oki, sorry. I mean, all those yeah. horrible puns were great. Um, yeah. So let me see. The, the kids' performances, that was another thing that I had some issues with, but the performances were good. And like you said, Lorna is just terrible in the best yeah. possible way. As for yes. James Marsden, um, I don't think I've gotten to see him play this kind of like a jerk before. And it's great. And he's really good yeah. at it. Yes. Um, so hopefully this leads to, I mean, uh, maybe he's been playing this kind of character and I just haven't seen it. But I, mostly I see him cast as like the earnest good guy um, mm-hmm. who's just unbelievably good looking. And um, and so like it's nice to see a different you know side of that kind of character um and so hopefully he gets to do more stuff like that because it's more fun and interesting and um let me see who else i I, they still haven't shown us at the end of the season have we ever seen a picture of ted um i cannot remember i get you would you would know better than i would because it's almost been a month since i've watched yeah no i I just watched this the other day um yeah so so the i don't think so i don't think so i think which is interesting and there's plenty they could do with that if they if they want to but god i hope um, yeah i like some of the other touches i like the (laughs) the church choir group was ridiculous and funny Um, what was their name Oh, I, Heavenly Harmonies or something like that. Yeah, yeah, they did a yeah. bunch of good church covers of popular songs. Oh, it was songs. terrible. I like offended oh. me on a musical level, which is perfect. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a lot to enjoy in the season, and I think we should. Unless you have anything else, we should, I think we should move to the spoiler section. Yeah, no, we should definitely move to the spoiler section. Okay, so listeners, you have been warned. There be spoilers, and I will keep talking for another five or six seconds here to give you time to mute or turn off or pause your your podcatching devices until you've had a chance to watch all of this. And uh, yeah, so let's dive in. Um, the first several episodes really had I had a hard time with it um, because it was so clear to me of what the central secret of the season was. And I feel like that's something that's going to be like, even just from the premise and the way they shoot it and the reaction shots that they show for the performers, it's really clear where they're going. And I, if we weren't watching this for the podcast, I would have stopped watching by episode two, yeah. just out of like fr- frustration from that. Like, why should I care about this person who's being obviously so insidious? I think they needed to do a better job of, getting you on board with rather than a skeptical eyebrow towards uh, the Cardellini character much sooner. Um, 
uh, until until we see her take ownership of the fact that she <laughs> was the driver um, in talking to herself and in t- talking to um, other people and like showing us that and showing us her processing all this pain that she was dealing with. Uh, I just I I would have stopped watching. Yeah, I think that there's a degree of like you said, wanting to have your cake and eat it too, and like this desire for a twist of mm-hmm. Judy being the one that killed Jane's husband and with while driving the car and that Steve Morrison's character for those um, still listening, but you should know this um, (laughs) if you've watched it, um, that there, that web basically should have been like really Mm -hmm. clear. And I think that there's, I like these kind of slow unraveling of it on a narrative level, but on for like an audience, it's just like, it's kind of exhausting. And it's asking a lot about the fact that there's not a good way for this secret to come out as apart from just saying it up front. So the sort of misdirect of having Jane and Jen, I should say, excuse me, Jen angry at Judy about, the nature of the loss of Mm -hmm. the miscarriages um i think is a way to sort of buffer that in a certain way so i think that there's a desire to shorter show like the overarching range of responses but also try to get like a angry response out of the way so we know what to kind of expect and I don't necessarily think that that works in their behave in their favor overall. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not explaining myself very well, so I'm going to stop talking for a minute and sort of allow my brain to reset. <laughs> but I do think that there's just a desire for too many secrets uh, to keep propel the show, and I think that ends up kind of hurting them. And this is what I think that the person who kind of referred to it as a writing exercise meant. How many secrets can we do and how can we tell them? So it feels more like a puzzle box for the writer to execute something and then cobbled it together in a show. I think they started with a bunch of secrets and then slowly worked down. It was a secret down sort of thing as opposed to sort Mm. of organically coming to a point where all of this makes sense. So slowly doling out, say, the car flashbacks is a little frustrating, but then even more slowly doling out what's going on with Jen and her husband that night, like so slowly, mm-hmm. so very slowly, I think is another issue. Yeah. Well, I mean, the bigger issue I had there was when they add that Charlie saw that uh-huh. and and then didn't commit to and they and they're complete they're bringing up and then abandonment of the kids issues was really really frustrating like because it makes sense that she thinks that they're fine because because she's so focused on her own pain that she isn't seeing theirs but then when it in in that episode they have her smacked upside the head with both of the kids acting out and then they immediately go back to not centering the kids at all in a way that's incredibly frustrating and uh really uninteresting like this idea that charlie's dealing with uh like watching his mom beat his dad who then left and got killed 
and watching the mom, you know, and the, he would have been more aware, I would imagine, that the dad was medicating with pills and stuff um, and not really checked in. And now he's watching his mom have always have a glass of wine in her hand whenever she's at home and seeing all this other stuff and needing wanting the gun for like there's some really great stuff you can dig into with like how this is affecting him and what his experience is like and like this strange relationship with the grandma too um that they just completely sidestep because twists are more important to them. <laughs> but this examination of what the kid is going through is way more interesting. Yeah, it is. And I think you're right in that. Especially when you consider the weirdness that Charlie gets himself into with Lorna. And mm-hmm. Lorna being hung up on um, Ted as much as she is. And that there's not a solid navigation of that for Charlie. But also for the rest of the family as well. Of like how what that means for Lorna and the willingness Mm -hmm. for them to explore that concept just doesn't come into play when it should it's sort of played as a creepy laugh but it's also just as sad as anything that Jane and Judy are dealing with yeah Jen and Judy yeah Jen sorry Um, I don't know why I keep doing that (laughs) it's okay it's all good uh, yeah, so that and then bringing in the music for the youngest kid, which is obviously a connection to his dad, and then that, but that tying to these tantrums and him being very, actually very musically talented, and then lashing out of the kids in the class that aren't so good. Like, there's all these really interesting storylines, or with the creepy kid who found the who found the body. You know, like it's, there's so much great stuff there, and then instead. They, we, we like added a light layer of international money laundering on top, which I just don't care at all about that. I'm so much more interested in the more human and mundane and smaller elements of this story when it's just June, uh, June, Jen, Jen and oh goodness, when it's just Jen and Judy hanging out and processing grief and and g- giving each other the space to to be where where they are and what they're dealing with you know and feel everything they're feeling right now that is the most compelling stuff of the show for me and um so i enjoy the twists and turns don't get me wrong i i like a, a thriller but I, th- I feel like the cast is at their best in the quiet moments when they're sitting at the beach when they're uh like just on laying down on a couch and 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 you know like listening to to music or feeling these different things like that watching the facts of life when they're watching facts of life yeah there's a legitimate interest in these small moments between jen and judy there's less of an interest in those small moments amongst everyone else which is not great because what especially by the end and with steve's death and the fact that they now have all of this money that there's this desire to keep building out when they should build more inward, I think. At least do more inward work if you don't to like justify the spinning out type of thing. And I think that that's kind of the problem is like Steve's death marks a very large escalation in that now they have to get rid of this body somehow. Or they could just go to the cops, which would be the right thing to do. I get so frustrated with that. Right, but they're not going to go to the cops. No, they're not, Uh, because because the TV show. 
A, because it's a TV show, and B, because the show has aggressively established that the cops are generally kind of terrible, um, which is something to be appreciated. Also <laughs> that they're stupid. Interest- but th- also that they're kind of stupid. Um, so I think that there's that aspect of it. That they want to do, that they can then factor in this kind of crime stuff now going forward of dealing with his money laundering partners and people wanting that money back. Um, which I assume is where we might go. Mm. But I feel like th- that's not that's not interesting. That's that's that, not what th- that's also not what this show is. It's not um, what we're tuning in for. I will watch right. Claws or catch up with Good Girls if I want to watch that. And I don't. I want to watch Dead to Me. Yeah. And I and so like the, the where it is like the premise of the show sort of carry itself like shows adjust their premises and adjust what they are all the time it happens and it should happen depending on the show but that kind of a shift in this kind of a show that is ostensibly about grief and the degree to which secrets help or hurt you help give you a sense of protection versus harming other people um, both of which are kind of core to this show. I don't know how that works here, apart from the idea of a secret eating away at both of them, and one of them having to keep the other one in line, which is what's going to happen. And that is that is a different sort of show. Yeah, that's true. So we will see what season two brings. Are you going to tune in? Um, More than likely, but largely because I think Applegate and Cardellini are just both really, really great on this show, and I want to watch more of them in playing off of each other. Uh, but I will also have a much lower tolerance bar, I think, going forward. So, the, like, those first few episodes need to be really good, I think. Mm, interesting. To really grab you and pull you in. Yeah. yeah that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I imagine we will have thoughts on season two when it comes. Um, but I think overall, we both still recommend this. Uh, if you're yes. listening to this point, you've probably already seen it. I should hope. Otherwise, you know, spoiled. But that's okay. Um, <laughs> um, now, if you show notes at the end of the episode here, you can find a post for this episode over at theteleverse.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can like our page on Facebook and start up a conversation there. You can email us theteleverse at gmail.com. You can find us, I hope, in Apple Podcasts, now that iTunes is not a thing. Um, with Apple the Tunes or whatever it is. Who whatever the hell it is. knows? Yeah, M4A Chaptered Feed and an MP3 Unchaptered Feed. We're also up in Stitcher and you can always find us on Twitter. I am at the Televerse and Noel you are at Noel RK thank you so much for a good week Kate thank you Noel and thank you everyone for listening we'll be back next week with another episode of the Televerse (laughs) 